How are we doing, Rich Church? It's like, oh, we got to clap twice in a row. That's tough. Hey, uh, my name is Bobby. I am uh, one of the pastors here. Let me tell you a, a, another sort of quick story about Tara. Uh, Tara Harvey is, uh, she heads up our recovery uh, groups uh, here at the Ridge, and so uh, you'll hear more about that uh, as we continue to go through this series. Th- those groups, uh, if you're interested in that, will actually begin uh, for everyone here that is interested in being a part of a recovery group will actually begin in October, but we'll have more information about that as, as well, and you can see Tara uh, after the service if you have uh, questions about that. But a uh, funny story, uh, just it, crazy how God works through this with Tara uh, in 1990-something, uh, early 90s, uh, two, maybe 93, somewhere around there, uh, I was on a mission trip and uh, went to, uh, with uh, our church group, we went to, a, uh, to this missions uh, deal called World Changers, and we were working on houses and building homes and things like that. And uh, we met this uh, really curly-headed, dark-headed woman, uh, girl at the time who was the same age as, as myself named Tara from North Carolina. And uh, so, you know, a friend of mine that was in our youth group, they had gotten to know each other really well and uh, sort of uh, kept in touch for a long time afterwards. And then uh, fast forward to about a year or so ago, and I'm on stage telling this story about something that happened on one of these mission trips. And uh, Tara, who you just saw on the screen, comes up to me after the church or after service that day, and she says, hey, uh, was that at, uh, you know, World Changers in 1993? I was like, yeah, why? And she said, we were on the same work crew together. And I was like, and it just dawned on me, like, it was crazy. It was like, that was, this is the same Tara Harvey, you know, and so, so on and so forth. And so crazy how God just works all of those things out and, and just takes bits and pieces of things and, and puts them together. And you see where her story has come into this story and our story has come together with that. And so it's just amazing how uh, God works uh, through those things. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 7. Uh, we will uh, get there in just a few moments. Uh, let me just catch you up. Last week we started this series called uh, Recovering Redemption. And we're talking really about how Christ changes everything. And if you were here last week, uh, then I, I sort of uh, left you uh, out to dry last week. I just kind of gave you the bad news last week and said, uh, that's the bad news, deal with it. We'll uh, sort of rectify that bad news next week. And so if you were here last week and then you're coming back this week for me to give you the good news, I hate to break it to you today. No, I'm just kidding. Today is good. Today is good news day. Today is good news. But what we said last week, just to catch you up, in case you missed it, just to catch us up to where we are this week, what we said last week is that when God created the world, when he created this, what we are in now, he created it perfectly. There was perfection when he created it. He took nothing and brought life into it. He took void and he gave it hope. He took something that was formless and he gave it life. And and when he did that, there was perfection that was done. At the end of every day that God created, God says it was what? Good, right? And so he says that it was good. And so then we have Adam and Eve come onto the scene. When Adam and Eve come onto the scene, they just wrecked the whole place, basically. Adam and Eve, in their disobedience and uh, uh, understanding of what they wanted, what God wanted them to do, they disobeyed God in the garden when they took and ate of the fruit of which God told them not to touch 
not to eat, and they fractured the universe. And the result of that fracture is something that you and I deal with on a daily basis. It's called sin. It's called sin. And so we are, uh, we are not, listen, understand, we are not victims of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Uh, understand that. It's like, okay, so Adam and Eve, it's all their fault, and so now we are just the victims in their disobedience. We are not the victims in their disobedience. We are now participators in their disobedience because it has been passed from them through generations, thousands of years. It has been passed on through us. We know this because Paul says in Romans, he says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. That word all in the Greek, when you break it down, it means all. It means everybody. That means you, no matter, what, no matter how you came in here, no matter uh, what you think of yourself, how good you think you are, how together you think you have things, you are a participator in that disobedience just like I am. doesn't matter if I'm a pastor doesn't matter if you're uh, whatever, you are still a participator in that disobedience of which Adam and Eve fractured the universe through right there. And so let me, uh, to, to just get a, a really good understanding of this, let me paint this picture for you because maybe some of you still don't necessarily believe that. Uh, there, there, there are some of you that probably uh, still think that um, on your really good days, you're pretty good. And on, on, on your best days when you have everything together, every red light is green, right? I mean, everything that you want to go your way goes your way, and you pat yourself on the back at the end of the day and say, look at how I just dominated that day. Like if that, some of you, some of you have, have that thought about yourself so that you can sort of uh, rearrange the universe to work in your favor. If you do this, if you do that, if you get this education, if you get this job, if you make this much money, if you have this spouse, if your kids are this put together, then life will just be flat and easy, rainbows and unicorns for you for the rest of your life. I'm going to let you down very hard today. Okay, so, not easy, we don't do easy here. Mark chapter 7, listen to this. Jesus has this conversation and it uh, really throws some of the uh, religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes uh, of the law for a loop. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14, says this. And he called the people to him. This is Jesus. He sort of calls them all around. And I love this picture. So in your mind, uh, when I am reading scripture to you, and you're reading scripture yourself, whether you're here or at home or wherever, try to picture these things in your mind. Jesus sort of gets everybody together, and he calls them around him because he has something very important to say. In fact, he opens up by saying this. He says, hear me. Pretty important when Jesus says, listen. He says, all of you, and understand. That's, uh, when I read that, it kind of reminds me of like when my mom or my dad would kind of call me you know, into the living room. Like, I've got something to say to you, boy, listen, right? You know, and it's like, yes, sir, I hear you. Okay, he says, hear me, all of you, understand. He says, there is something outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what? defile him i'm sorry let me read that again it says i I said something it says there is nothing there is nothing outside a person 
that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, by show of hands, let me, especially those of you um, who have heard your parents say this, how many of you have heard uh, garbage in, garbage out, right? There's, there's probably a little bit of truth to that, but Jesus is sort of kind of going after that just a little, a little bit. Listen to what he says next. He says, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about that parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside him cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And so even the disciples, for those of you who think, you know what, I don't really get this whole following Jesus thing, and I don't get it right all the time, and I, you know, there, I've got so many questions, and I feel embarrassed about asking questions. The disciples asked questions. They were with Jesus. They were the disciples. They were the ones that Jesus handpicked and chose, but yet even they had questions. They didn't understand, and so Jesus explained it to them. And so, praise God, thus he declared all foods clean. Can we get some amen for some bacon up in here, all right? It's now clean. Eat it in moderation. All right, so, <clears throat> just saying. All right, verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. And so, Maybe you read that list and you go, you sort of look at it as a, as a checklist. Well, I don't really have a whole lot of evil thoughts. I'm not sexually immoral. I've never stolen. I've never killed anybody. I've not committed adultery. I don't really covet, maybe every now and then. I'm not wicked, I'm not deceitful, envious, slanderous. Uh, sometimes I'm kind of foolish. And so you look at that list and you just kind of check off and mark and look at those different things. And you say, well, according to this list, I'm actually pretty good. Except you might have missed what Jesus just said. Here's what he's saying. He's telling his disciples that from within the heart comes all of these things. These are the things that which defile a person. It's not what comes in, it's what goes out. And so what Jesus is actually saying here is he is saying that the root of every one of these things is in every single one of us because it's in our hearts like well i could never murder somebody take a trip down death row and ask how many people are sitting on death row right now and ask them if they thought that they would ever murder somebody it's in there i would never commit adultery it's in there the things that which defile a person are already in each one of us. It doesn't matter how great your life is right now. It doesn't matter how together things are right now. What is, it's in there. That's what Jesus is saying by this. He's saying that what is unclean is already in there. And so it's not that, that we do sinful acts that make us a sinner. 
We think, well, if, if, if I do sinful acts and that's what makes me a sinner, that's not what actually makes us a sinner. It's we are sinners and so we do sinful acts. Regardless of how holy we think we are, the stuff is in there and so the potential is always there. And so Jesus is saying it's not what we intake, it's already dirty there. You and I are already dirty we are already filthy that way and so the problem the problem is really pretty simple we are the problem we are the problem and so when we start to feel shameful dirty and guilty about what we've done we think if if we'll just do more if uh if i will just do better if uh, i can simply just work harder to change then we can appease god and we can get him to be happy with us again But this is just simple behavior modification and it doesn't get down to the root or the core of the issue which is always, hear me, it is always the heart. It is always the heart. It is not about changing your behavior. We can simply mow over the weeds in our lives but what happens when we mow over weeds? They come back. And so for those of you who have struggled with certain addictions or certain thoughts or certain actions and you think, well, I squashed that a long time ago because I changed that behavior and I changed this in my life and I changed that, but then all of a sudden you see those things start to to creep back up and come back out. The reason they're coming back out is because the root has not been pulled because it's in the heart. It's there. And for any of you who have ever struggled with any kind of addiction, you know this, don't you? It's in there. So cleaning the surface never addresses the problem. It simply hides the issue. It never really changes anything. When I was in college, I had a roommate who, uh, a good friend of mine, and we had this uh, apartment together and uh, lived together, and we had this, um, I had some friends that were coming over one evening, so I remember uh, picking up the phone, and I called him, and I said, uh, because our kitchen was kind of a wreck, you know, there was dishes everywhere, I mean, we were, Guys, it was dirty all the time. Anyway, so like, uh, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. And so like, uh, I call him, right? And I, and I say, hey, I got some friends coming over later. Could, would you mind like just taking care of the kitchen, getting the dishes cleaned up, that whole thing, you know, everything like that? And he's like, yeah, sure, got no, no problem. So I come home, you know, get there, and I got friends over, and, you know, I'm like, hey, anybody want something to drink? Yeah, sure. So I, I go to the kitchen, open up the cabinet to get some glasses out, and there's no glasses there. But the kitchen is clean. Like, on, on the outside, the kitchen is clean. We didn't have a dishwasher back in the day, so you had to, like, hand wash dishes. Anybody remember what that's like? And so, like, you had to, like, do that whole thing. But I open up the cabinets, and there are no dishes in the cabinet. Like, there are no glasses up there. I mean, there's not, we don't even have, like, paper cups. I mean, but, like, there's nothing up there, right? And so I'm like, where are all, you know, like, where are everything out? So I'm kind of looking around the kitchen, you know, just kind of thinking. And, and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I just had this thought. I was like... I open up the bottom cabinet, right, underneath the sink, okay? Open up the bottom cabinet underneath the sink where normally there's like, you know, cleaning supplies or something like that under there maybe, right? And so I open it up, and right there is every dirty dish that we had under the sink. Not clean, still dirty. Ooh is right. Yeah, somebody said ooh. It's absolutely right. I was like, well... Anybody want to go out to get something to drink? All right, let's, uh, let's do that. But, like, 
it was all it was all there and so here here's the picture though this is what many of us try to do with our own lives is we just try to hide what's dirty we try to push it away and push it back and think that well nobody will ever see it if i put it under here if i put it back here if i just move it away from being visible from everyone else with everything else then i'll I'll just put it back here under the sink and nobody will find it listen it's still dirty nothing is clean nothing is taken care of it is still there so at best we can modify the behavior but behavior modification never leads to heart transformation our hearts never change and so here's the bad news so what we said last week you and i are busted broken messed up and there is nothing that we can do about it to redeem ourselves nothing and so we basically said it like this last week are we just doomed and damned yes we are unless 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 the gospel takes root in our hearts unless the gospel pulls the root of sin from our hearts and replaces it as what uh, the prophet Ezekiel said that that God takes a heart of stone and he replaces it with a heart of flesh There is a heart change that takes place. There's a heart transformation that takes place there. And so the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel is the great unless. It is the great unless. And so flip over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 starting in verse 6. Here is the great unless. For while we... And when you see that word, we, you can just put you there, me. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we, while I, were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, that means brought back, uh, rescued, put back together, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And so if the real issue is our heart, then how does it transform? If that's the real issue. And so, I love verse 6. Let me read verse 6 to you again. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And so regardless of when God saved you and what your story is, even if you were 6 when you first gave your life to Jesus, and like the worst thing that you had ever done was pull, like pulled some poor girl's hair, right? Like that was it. You're like, you know, I was a dirty, rotten sinner. I pulled people's hair, you know, I bit them, right? You know, whatever, right? And so you ate some glue, I don't know. But like, like that's the worst part of your story when, when God saved you. Hear, hear, me, hear me when I say this. 
God saved you at the right time. Even if your story isn't as jacked up and messed up as somebody else who, who maybe went through addictions or went through uh, horrible things like Tara talked about or other life-altering things and like your story is that you were strung out on crack and somebody found you in a ditch one day, like that's not your story. Listen, it doesn't matter. Your story is still the same. God intersected and rescued you at the right time for you. And so Don't be ashamed of whatever your story is. I can relate to the six-year-old story because I was about eight years old when I first really thought that that I I was being uh, pulled by God, that God was saving me. It wasn't really until I was 13 that I really understood that and got that and really gave my life to Jesus. But even at 13, I really hadn't done much except disobey my parents, which is sin, which makes me a sinner in need of a Savior And so, therefore, God saved me at the right time. Just like he saved you at the right time. We've been saved at the right time. And so, when we were weak, when you were weak, not when you knew you were weak, when you were weak. You get that? Not when you knew that you were weak. Because a lot of you don't know that you're weak. But yet, you're in here today. But God knows that you're weak. When God saw you weak because you were ungodly. And for others of us, it's maybe everyone around you knew that you were weak. And that's your story. But regardless, God saved you. And so we should rest in that. But listen how it goes on. Verse 7 says this. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Understand that for those of you who are believers and and given your life to Christ, you have been saved from the wrath of God. And so you're like, what have I been saved from? That's pretty big. Verse 10 is really important. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we uh, are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. And so for all of us, those who may struggle with addictions and wonder if God could love you, after you did fill in the blank, You fill in the blank. I don't know what your blank is, but you fill in the blank. And so maybe you came in here this morning and that's that's your biggest question. I don't really know that God could love me because I am blank. I don't know that God could really love me because of I have done blank, because of blank. You fill in the blank. I don't know what your blank is, but you fill it in. You know what it is. God knows knows what it is. But here's the good news of the gospel. Here's how the good news invades the bad spaces. While you were an enemy of God, God reconciled and saved you. I don't think we understand fully what it means that you and I For those of us who are are saved now, who have given our lives to Christ now, we're at once enemies of the cross. But yet, the bad news for those of you who have never given your life to Christ, that news still rests on your shoulders that currently, right now, in this moment, 
you are an enemy of the cross. But the good news is, is that through Jesus on that same cross has reconciled and paid for the debt of our sins to bring you in relationship with him. Regardless of how unput together you think your life is. He loved us and saved us while we were enemies, adopted us as sons and daughters. How much does he love you now? Think about that. Believers, think about that. That struggle with whether or not God could still love you. If he loved you and brought you into relationship and adopted you as his son and daughter while you were an enemy of his, how much more then does he love you as a son and daughter now? When our children need discipline, we, we discipline them, don't we? Or we should, right? We don't kick them out and send them on their way when they mess up, do we? You know, you don't take your, your three-year-old and be like, I told you to clean up your mess. Now, get out. Like, out of the house, leave. You're gone. You're on your own. See ya, right? Like, no, nobody does that. And it, no, neither does God. And so here's the good news. The good news that invades these dark, dark places is that God has snatched you out of rebellion toward him while you were his enemy and is loving you and has absorbed all of your sin on the cross and begins to transform your heart in those dark places. And so this should squash any arrogance that we might have about how, well, I can do this and fix my life. I can do this and I can change this. To win God's favor. He saved you. You didn't save you. Some of you need to understand that. He saved you. You didn't save you. He saved you from you and saved you from having to fix you. Isn't that what we said last week? Is that when things break and when things go bad, we, we rely on other things. We rely on ourselves. We say that, I, you know, I can fix myself. I can fix this. And so I will do this and I will do that. And then if that doesn't work, then we rely on others to fix us and get our lives together. And so we believe that lie that somebody else will complete us. Women, we rely on him to complete us. Men, we say that, he, that she will complete us. And so, like, we rely on other people. We look to other people to say, hey, fix what is wrong with me. And what we end up finding out is that we end up more broken than we were before in that. And we find that neither ourselves or somebody else can fix us. And so then we turn to other people things we think that if i have a good a car a good house gadgets and toys and all of these things these um these blessings of which that that god gives to all of us we look to them as little g gods and say these things if i have these things in my life these things will fix me and if none of those fix me well then i will just turn to a perverted religion saying that i will do this and i will do this and i will do this and then because i do these things then God will fix me. And what we find at the end of that list is that none of those things fix us. That none of those things redeem us. None of those things put broken pieces back together. But God does. Isn't that what Tara just said in her story? 
that God does, that he, that he does those things. And so hear me when I say this. Although God has done these things, although God is doing these things for you, those of you who are believers, he is working those things out and he is putting those things back together. Listen, you're not fixed yet. You're not fixed yet. And, and so for some of you who maybe are, are new believers or you're sort of kicking the tires on this whole Jesus thing, whether or not you know, you're, you're, you're going to follow him or not, and you're wondering, well, if I do this, will he fix me? It's going to take time. It's called sanctification. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. It's this dirty, rotten, mud, hole, pot-filled, hole, roll, road that we're on in order to be holy. And we don't get there until Jesus comes back or he takes us home. And so it's a journey. It's a process. It's something that takes time to come together. But the beautiful thing is, is that it comes together. That's why we struggle with these temptations. And it's also why I say this all the time, is that, that we are not a church that does recovery. We are a church that is in recovery. Because you and I are in recovery. God keeps doing his work through us. And so when God saved us, he didn't just pour out all of his grace all at once on us. He continually pours out his grace for us. That's what uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says. It doesn't, Paul says that, uh, that his grace is sufficient for us, meaning that his grace is enough for today. And there will be enough grace for tomorrow. And there will be enough grace for the next day. It's not all at once. God just pours it out on you, and then it's like you're done. And so you have, sort of have this uh, level of grace that you can run out of at some point. It doesn't work that way. And so let me, let me close with this. Couple or last week, actually, I, I read you Jeremiah 17, and we actually a couple months back we did a whole series based on this passage of scripture from Jeremiah 17 called "Planting Trees." But let me uh, let me read you Jeremiah 17, five through eight. It says this: Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. Uh, so you hear right here, Jeremiah the prophet says that anybody who trusts in yourself to fix yourself is cursed. That's what he says. He says this, he says, He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But listen to verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For it leaves, its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And so let me show you real quick just a picture of an olive tree that these olive trees grow in. Um, can you dim the lights a little bit so we can see that? Front lights. Um, these olive trees... Uh, grow in Israel, and, and if you can see the way that this tree has grown, it's twisted, it's in, uh, looks like a, a very dry place, it's just twisted up, busted up, uh, when you get close to them, you see how the bark just, uh, uh, just peels off very easily on these trees, and so 
an olive tree, when an olive tree dies, its uh, leaves all fall off. It's much like the trees that we have around here. Its leaves fall off and, and its branches become very brittle and easy to break off. And so it will appear to have, be, have been uh, basically burnt up, dried up, busted, broken, and dead above ground. But there is something taking place in the roots that we cannot see with an olive tree. The root system below the ground will be so strong that it can literally resurrect a living tree from the one that has died. And so this was this is written about the olive tree. Listen to this. It says, "The olive tree is a living picture of the gospel. It's re- it is redemption in action. Life doesn't reignite itself out of the branches." with the tape and string and splices from other saplings, meaning that it's not relying on another tree to fix it. It's not relying on something from the outside to go to the inside to fix it. What is happening is it's from the inside out. That is the gospel. The gospel goes inside out. Perverted religion comes outside in. Instead, it happens underground, out of sight, out of anyone's control, down where... Unlike the olive tree, even our roots are dead. But God brings the rebirth. He restores what can't be restored. He takes what is brittle and broken and beyond all hope and infuses his own life into dead spaces. This is the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And that good news is that Jesus is the answer to the question, if I can't fix myself, who can? What can? If I can't be redeemed by what I do, then how can I be redeemed? And the answer is the gospel, Jesus. The good news. D.L. Moody, old pastor and theologian, said this. He said, looking at the wound of sin will never save anyone what you must do is look at the remedy. And so as we close and pray this morning, here's what I just want to encourage you to do. Is that if you have relied on yourself to fix you, if you have relied on others to fix you, if you have relied on things and gadgets and toys and material type things to fix you, or you have sort of created this perverted version of God in your own mind, this, this Jesus and Savior of your own mind to fix you, And none of those things have worked. And maybe you think you're still just working the list. You're like, well, wait a minute. I think this right here might fix me. I'm here to tell you that none of those things will fix you. But if you've relied on those things to fix you, then you're at the very end of the place where you need the gospel the most. The gospel is the remedy. So regardless of how busted up and broken you came in here, whether you're a believer, whether you're not a believer yet, regard, none of those things matter at this point because the cross is at the foot of the, everything is even at the foot of the cross. It is even ground. Which means that we can rest there. That instead of putting our hope and our trust into any of these other things, we put our hope and our trust into Jesus. It's very cliche. We, you hear people say this all the time, and maybe you're like me for the longest time. You're like, I have no idea what that means. But you hear people say this all the time. Just give it to Jesus. Right? 
This is what that means. You can't fix you. He can. You can't mend what's broken, but He can. You can't squash the addiction, but He can. You can't recover yourself, but He can. So I challenge and encourage you this morning to respond to that. However you feel is necessary to respond, whether it be to to sing out and and to to stand to your feet and to to sing these songs as we uh, sing them, or maybe it's to, to come to the front and have somebody meet you here to pray with you, or maybe it's just to fill out a connect card at the end of the service and say, hey, just pray for me about this. Or maybe it is in you giving your life to Jesus today to say, Jesus, I can't fix me. I've tried. I give it to you. let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. God, we thank you for your word and how it gets to the root of our hearts, God, and how it digs down deep, Father, and how it uh, pulls out and reveals to ourselves, God, what is broken and what is in need of you. God, we are sinners. God, I am a sinner. And I need the gospel. God, we need your gospel. We need your good news to invade dark places. So, Father, give us the power of your Holy Spirit, God, the courage to not rely on anything else, but to just give ourselves to you. And to simply just to cry out with our mouths, with our hearts, God, to let it scream that we need you above anything else. We need you. Father, we thank you so much for that. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your sacrifice. How you loved us when we were your enemies. How you've loved us even though some of us are still there. And at the right time, when we were weak, you gave yourself up for us. name we pray. Amen. Will you stand to your feet and respond in the way that God has just leading you to respond? And again, if you would like somebody to pray with you this morning, we'd love to just have somebody meet you down front down here to just pray with you. If you want, you don't have to. You can stand right where you're at, sit right where you're at. It's okay. We want you to respond in the way that God is calling you.